that we cannot see. That's what we have been addressing. And in week number one, we talked about just the reality of the dimensions that we live in, and we are aware of three, four, if you count time, four dimensions that we have access to that we are aware of in our physical beings, our, the created state that we're in. We have access to those. But scientists tell us that there could be as many as ten dimensions, which means there are, are, are six to seven, maybe even more dimensions that we are not even aware of, that we cannot in our physical limitations comprehend or understand. There are more dimensions out there. In fact, Jesus even gave us a sneak peek of some of those dimensions. We talked about all of that in week number one. Week number two, we talked about this world that we cannot see called uh, a world of, of angels who do have access to these other dimensions. And last week, week number three, we talked about the world of evil. And we talked about how that impacts us. And so this morning, that leaves us thinking, well, as we said last week, if angels, which are fallen, uh, the, on the fallen side of angels, that's where the evil world comes in. And if they, if they, as angels do, as we said last week, know more than we do, and if they have access to more dimensions than we have access to, and if they are more powerful than we are, then would not that leave us at the whim of evil in this unknown world that's around us? John 10.10 even says that the thief's purpose is to steal, the thief being the evil one, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus said, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So if Satan, the evil one, if his evil world knows more than we know, if they have access to more of this created world than we have access to, if they are more powerful than we are, then what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, let's begin that answer by reading a passage of Scripture. I'm not going to really commentate on this. I just want to read it to you. It's, a, it's a, several verses in this passage. It's in the beginning of uh, in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. I want to start with verse 1. McKinley will have it on the screen for you as we go. Paul describes here, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So he's describing us. Here he's describing people who are now Christ followers. He said, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world, which is what we're talking about. It says, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, Paul says, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, Paul says, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. In other words, it's just part of who we are, this desire to do what we want to do and to ignore God and say, God, mm, whatever, whatever you want is great for you. I'm going to do what I want for me. Verse 4. But God, he said, is so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And he, he kind of gives us a parenthetical thought there. He said, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. And he said, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So again, here we have this heavenly realms, this unseen world, because we are united with Christ Jesus, verse 7. So God can point to us. Now he's speaking here clearly of people who have chosen to follow Jesus. They've chosen to follow him. He said, and that's who he, who he has seated in the heavenly realm, so he's describing not all of creation, just those who have decided to follow Jesus. Um, 
and it's verse 7 again. So God can point to us and in all future ages as examples. And again, this is not an example of greatness, not an example of, wow, look at that person and, and how they're really rocking it as they follow Jesus. No. He said, examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. In other words, it's look how they have blown it and look how God has redeemed them. That's, that's the big difference there. His kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now, let's make a comment here before we move to verse 8. Paul is saying, it is not enough to believe that Jesus is a real person, that he really is God's son, that he really did come here 2,000 years ago. It's not enough to believe that. That is not enough to do what Paul just described. It's not enough to believe that. In fact, we must that's a starting place. We must take that belief to the point of commitment. We must take that belief to the point of surrender, to the point of a transfer of ownership, saying, I, God, I have owned my life. I have made my decisions based upon what I think is right, what I have decided is the way it should be, and that's how I've lived my life and made my decisions and made my judgments in this world. But God, I am transferring ownership. I am giving you ownership of my life. This life was mine, and now it belongs to you. So it's not just a belief that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. It's a transfer of ownership. Verse 8, God saved you by grace when you believed. He said you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward, Paul says, for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, it's not you haven't earned it. You didn't deserve it. You did not tip the scales in your favor with good behavior. No, no. He said it is all God's grace. For we are God's now. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So, Paul, so what the question we began with was, so what do we do? Are we at the whim of evil around us? Since evil is more powerful than us, it is more knowledgeable than us, it has access to more dimensions than us? And the first part of that answer is no, 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 no. The first step is to transfer ownership of your life from you to God. But here's the deal. The evil one is a bully. And we cannot and will never be able to tackle the evil one on our own. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't tackle the evil one on your own. Even though we have these physical bodies with physical limitations, we are actual spiritual beings. You are a soul that resides in a physical body. And souls are part of this spiritual world. And God has provided us some spiritual protection from the evil one, who is trying to steal, from the evil one whose desire it is to kill, from the evil one who is trying to destroy your life. You see, the evil one has an agenda. You may not yet have an agenda for your life, but the evil one has an agenda for your life, a plan for your life. The truth is, That by God's grace, you have the potential to break any link of bondage 
from generations of bondage that have been passed down from, from parent to child, parent to child, parent to child. You don't have to become or stay a victim of your past. Now, we just read from the first part of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we're going to head to the very end of Ephesians, the very last chapter. And this is also talking to people, again, continuing, people who have transferred the ownership of their lives from themselves to God. And now God tells us through Paul here, he tells us how we can make it in this spiritual world in which we find ourselves, but we cannot see. So let's break this down. The first step, we said, is transferring that ownership. I was the owner, now God is. Now let's move on to Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. We're going to read eight verses here this morning. Paul says, a final word. So this is at the end of the, this letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So he is saying, be strong in God. Not in yourselves, not in myself. Be strong in God. He says, in His mighty power. And, and, and please understand, this is the very same power that gave Jesus the ability to do the miracles that He did while He was here on this earth. That's a lot of power. He says, be mighty in this power. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is a lot of power. And Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul, be strong in that power, not yours, in that power. So often we wake up every single day and we begin our days in our power. And what we can accomplish, what we can handle, what we can endure, and that's how we end our days. And then we ask ourselves, why does it seem like I am at the whims of everything around me? Because so often we're living our lives in our power. Now he goes on, verse 11. Put on the armor, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil, the strategies of the evil one. So the question, whose armor is it? It's God's armor. It is not our armor. It is not what we can muster, the strength we can gather. It is God's armor. Again, not ours. It is God's. I want you to look closely. What is the purpose? Let's leave those on the screen for me just a little bit. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of that armor? So that we will be able to what? To stand. That's the purpose. The purpose is not, in, as stated in the passage we're studying today, this armor and this spiritual warfare is not designed for you to advance. It's not designed for you to gain ground. Its purpose is not for you to charge. No. The purpose is for you to stand. I know that may not be what many of us have been taught or what we have thought about the armor of God. You see, it's not glamorous. But God reveals His purpose here. It's not glamorous, but the purpose is for you to stand. That's the purpose. You see, God, with his armor is not preparing you to attack. He's not preparing you to advance His cause against the evil one with His armor. He's preparing you in this passage with this armor. He's preparing you to hold His territory that Christ has already 
conquered. And now, God gives us a list, almost like a hierarchy of spiritual forces. Verse 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, Paul reminds us, but against evil rulers. And he's not talking about uh, like an evil king of an empire. He's talking about unseen dimensions, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now because of all of this, in this unseen world, a battle that you cannot see but you can feel, a battle that you cannot visualize but you experience, verse 13, therefore, he says, put on every piece of whose armor? God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be what? Standing firm. He gives us an if, and then the result is then. It's a classic if-then. If this, then this. If this happens, then this will happen. If you put on all the armor of God and utilize all the armor of, armor of God then the result is you will stand in defense. Now here's an important point though. As Paul gives us this list, it is not a buffet. I, hey, listen, I love a good buffet. <laughs> as uh, the kids and, and Vanessa and I, as we leave here today, we're headed to a buffet in Hot Springs. <laughs> we're going to eat. At least I am. I love a good buffet, but this is not a buffet. It is not, oh, I'll choose some of this. God, thanks for spreading this out. I'll have some of this. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. It's not a buffet. The if is, if you utilize all, then you will stand. Listen to some more descriptions. I'm not going to have these on the screen for you. Just listen to these. In 1 John chapter 4. The one who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the one, that is the evil one, who is in the world. In James chapter 4, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5, be self-controlled and alert. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see, God's word is very consistent. If we have his armor in place in our lives, we have the opportunity to resist evil. And God says when that happens, evil must must run, must retreat. Okay, so what is all of this armor that Paul is talking about that is not a buffet, that he says it's all or none? You use it. I, I, use it. I don't want to say lose it. Just use it. All of it. What is this armor? Here we go, starting with verse 14. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. We're going to pause here for a moment and talk about that. The belt of truth is the first piece of armor that God offers us. The belt of truth can be summarized by this phrase. That is your daily living integrity. You see, a soldier of that day wore a belt. In our minds, we might think of it almost like a policeman's duty belt where they have things attached. It's similar to that, but this belt had more than just their sword attached and their dagger attached. This belt that they wore also held together and connected all their other parts of body armor. So their uh, solar plexus was all attached to this belt and, and all of the other weapons around the side. It all 
was connected by the belt. And Paul says, we have a belt. It's the belt of truth. We must, this first part of armor that we have to put on, we must have the, the belt, this truth of God holding us all together spiritually. And in order to do that, we must know the truth. We must believe the truth. We must tell the truth. And we must live the truth. And that's why that can be summarized as your daily living integrity. That means if you have placed upon your life this belt of truth, it means you are being controlled by the truth, centered by the truth. And that's why we can summarize to say that is your daily living integrity. Satan, he will lie to you. John 8, verse 44, it's not on the screen, but listen to these words. He, this is the evil one, Satan, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, the Bible says, he is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now get this. If your armor, which is attached to your belt of truth, if your armor is, uh, is not secure to that truth, then a lie, that means it's loose, then a lie from the evil one is going to find its way through your armor and into your life. You know, the most deadly of those lies are those clever lies from the evil one that sound like the truth. You maybe have heard it said that a broken clock is right at least twice a day. But listen to this. A clock that is just five minutes wrong may be more dangerous than a clock that is hours and hours wrong. Because a clock that is hours and hours wrong, it's so obvious that's wrong. A lie that is just way out there, it is so obvious to us that is, that is wrong. But it's those lies that are real close to the truth that are so dangerous. A clock that is five minutes wrong is more dangerous than a clock that is hours wrong. Because hours wrong, it's so obvious. That one five minutes off, that's enough time for you to miss a flight. That's enough time for you to miss your meeting, your doctor's appointment. That's enough time for you to miss what you needed to catch. You were so close, but you missed it. And those lies that are close to the truth are the most dangerous ones. And they are the ones from the evil one that work their way through the armor if it's loose not secured by the belt of truth, into your life. He goes on. He says, and the body armor of God's righteousness. So he says, take that body armor and secure it. The body armor of God's righteousness. Not your righteousness. The Bible tells us our righteousness is like disgusting, filthy, dirty rags. Not our righteousness. God's righteousness. The breastplate, this body armor of righteousness can be summarized by this. Your daily purity in the way you live. Your daily purity. That is this body armor of God's righteousness. Now, we're not just talking about what happens to you when you become a follower of Jesus. There, there is that moment of salvation when you become a believer, a follower of Jesus. But then from that point on, there is a lifetime of God working in your life, slowly making changes, slowly transforming you. That's what we're talking about. 
It's what happens in your life every single day as you grow, as God cleans your life from the inside out, as he changes you little by little by little, day by day, year after year. For the Roman soldier, the breastplate, this uh, body armor was made of uh, small metal plates um, that were connected together. Sometimes it was a a chain type item, but in, in the first century, most often it was these metal plates. And they would be connected together and they would cover the warrior's body from the neck down to the waist. And the purpose was for this armor to help protect the warrior's vital organs. And in this passage for us, the breastplate, this body armor, symbolizes your right living, your right choices with God's help. Now the truth is that the evil one is always going to be looking for a crack in your armor so that he can get to your heart. And for all of us, impurity is that crack in the armor that the evil one is going to go after. Some small, seemingly insignificant, tiny sin some moment that is a lack of us living God's righteousness. And it seems so small. But it makes us vulnerable as an entry point for the evil one to get through your armor and into your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Again, not on the screen. Just listen to this. Guard your heart. Above all else, the wisdom writer says, because it determines the course of your life. And the evil one is after your heart, that center of your life that guides everything else you do. And if he can get in with a small crack in your armor, that's all it takes, then he begins to fill the whole space of your heart, guiding your whole life. If you're a Christ follower this morning, there is no reason whatsoever at this moment right now that we should not have, we, I include myself in this, we should not have an absolutely clean and pure heart before God at this very moment. Because God is always ready. We simply have to ask Him for forgiveness. And He's ready and He's willing to cleanse me and to forgive me and to cleanse you and forgive you no matter what it is. Now Paul goes on with the list. Verse 15. For shoes, he says, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, the Roman soldiers wore sandals, really, Um, special sandals. They had cleats on the bottom of these sandals to help them with traction, metal cleats that were on, on the bottom. It would help give them a sure footing so that they were able to stand. Now, this verse is not really in this passage. It says in other places, but in this passage, related to this army, armor and this spiritual battle, this passage is not about us using those shoes to run forward to spread the good news. That's not what this is about. This is about standing, not advancing. And everything I have seen in the movies, if you fall in a sword fight, it's your last fall. 
this peace that Paul is talking about, the good news, it's the peace that the good news can bring you in your life even in the middle of a battle. He goes on now in verse 16, the next piece of armor. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. The, the shield that the Roman soldier would use uh, in the first century, they were transitioning to a different shield, but here in the first century, more than likely, most of the Roman soldiers used a shield that was about two and a half feet wide, and it was four feet long, um, and it was made of wood, and it was covered with leather and linen in order to absorb the fire from an arrow that was lit. Paul describes this as a for you spiritually as a shield of faith. A shield of faith. Meaning a shield for us in this spiritual battle, a shield that is made up of your faith. The shield itself is made up of faith. It is your faith in Jesus, your trust, your belief in these things you cannot see related to Jesus, your faith in Him that stops these fiery lies, these arrows from the evil one from penetrating into your heart. The shield made up of your faith. Those flaming arrows, those deceptive thoughts that the evil one shoots toward your life. What happens if we don't extinguish them? When one of his fiery arrows, his evil, deceitful thoughts slips into your life, into your mind? What happens when we don't take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus? What happens? What happens if we entertain one of those deceptive lies? Here's what happens. The evil one begins to develop a stronghold in your mind, in your thinking, perhaps in some kind of emotional attachment to someone or something. And over the course of time, this attachment becomes more and more and more and more difficult to break. So Paul warns us in this next verse, verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet. You see, when we believe lies about ourselves, when we believe feelings as our truth about us, feelings and lies that really aren't true, but they feel true to us, but inevitably, they're not true. It begins to develop a, a, a mental stronghold over the course of time. The longer we believe those lies about us, the stronger they have a hold over us and our thinking and our minds. And in the midst of battle, God is saying our minds must be protected from the evil one so that they are controlled by God, not by evil. The devil, the evil one, he wants to control your thought life because you are and you become what you think. And many, many, many people for many years have been held captive by the evil one simply because they have not controlled their thoughts. And the evil one has them. 
has their thinking, and he has their life and their direction. We must please hear this. We must assume responsibility for our own mind. We must assume responsibility for our own thoughts. And we have to choose to take every single thought that comes into our mind to take it captive and before we dwell on it and think on it and write on it over and over and over again, take that thought and make it obedient to Jesus. It is our responsibility. The way to overcome lies from the evil one is by choosing truth. The Bible describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Which means to me that our minds, even in the middle of a battle, our minds can be quiet. And they can become a sanctuary. Even in the battle, a sanctuary under His Lordship. Philippians 4-7 tells us about that. But our minds can only be changed as we allow them to be renewed by the truth of God's Word. So we are to take, as 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 10, we are to take every thought captive. If what you are thinking in your mind at any given moment, if what you are thinking in your mind isn't true according to God's Word and is not edifying you or encouraging you or lifting you up, then don't think it. Now, I understand that telling people, don't think that, is not a complete answer. Because <laughs> if I tell you, do not think, of a dog, right? Now, whatever you do, don't think of a dog. You're thinking of a dog. So I know that's not a complete answer. So here is the complete answer. Paul gives us the complete answer in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to this. Listen to the words. It's not on the screen. He says, finally, dear brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about such things. So while we can't take that negative thought and just erase it, we can take the thought captive and we can begin to think the right things with God's help. And that's what Paul is saying. Protect your mind with the helmet of salvation. And then he goes on. He says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What is your weapon against Satan's attack? It's the Word of God. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, the Word of God is quick. The Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Paul says your weapon is the Word of God. When you are faced with temptation, just do, do you just open up the Bible and, and flip some pages and just point to a verse and then read that verse? Is that, is that the way we appropriately use the sword? I know, and listen, I know a lot of people because they tell me that, that that's what they do. But I'm telling you the truth. If Paul has said that is your one weapon, do you really think 
that just opening your Bible, flipping through some pages, pointing to a verse, and reading that verse, that that is going to be an adequate use of your weapon? And the answer is no. If God has given you one direct weapon to use called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, then I would suggest to you that you need to study it. That if that is the one weapon you have been given, that you need to study it, you need to read it, you need to reread it. You perhaps need to even bring some of it into your life in the form of memory. Because when you are in a battle, you need to already know where to go. And just opening the Word and pointing to a passage. Oh, there's a lot of good things in the Bible. And you might land on something encouraging. But I believe you would be far more wise and far more in keeping with the way God has designed His Word to work if you actually know it. And here's how I can know that that's the truth. You know, for Jesus... When he was tempted, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4, every single time that Jesus, we only have these three temptations recorded, but we know that Jesus was in the desert and he was being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Not just by a demonic force. He was being tempted by the fallen cherub himself, by Satan, by the evil one. Jesus in his weakened physical state against the unweakened mighty cherub. And every single time Jesus was tempted, he did not just throw out a scroll and point to a verse. Because that is not the method he wants you to use. Jesus quoted him a specific passage related to the specific temptation that he was facing. That, every single time that it's recorded, that's what Jesus did. Jesus took the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and ran Satan through with that sharp sword. And every time, the evil one had to retreat back into the wilderness. And now Paul continues from our personal handheld weapon. He moves to the heavy artillery in verse 18. He said, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. He said, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. He said, pray and stay alert. Be persistent. That is our heavy artillery. One of the most important factors in any military uh, action, in any military engagement, is proper ground support. And it goes way beyond your personal armor. And in this case, it, it, it picks up and it includes this form of trans-dimensional communication that we call prayer. It's the heavy artillery. It is your action on the grand scheme of this battle. It is you being involved even from a distance. You can have a direct impact in a foreign country that you have never visited, that you are not in. You may be in your bedroom, but you can pray and have a direct impact in another land. Prayer. It is your big, big gun. Now this is all described as warfare. And in this war, you 
are the target of the evil one. In this war, this war that God is describing, you are the target. Your family is the target of the evil one. In this war that we're describing, you are the target. Your family is the target. And your church is the target. The enemy's primary weapon is deception. That's his primary weapon. To deceive you. But your primary weapon is the Word of God as described by Paul. Your armor in this battle is God's armor. And it takes all of it. You can't just choose, oh, I'll take the helmet of salvation, or I'll take the shoes, or I'll take... You can't choose. It takes all of the armor if you're going to stand through the battle. See, the reality is this is not playtime. This is not playtime. And so many people play at following Jesus. So many people just play at following Jesus or they pretend at it. So many people, they just think to themselves, I'll just, I'll come and I'll learn some things on Sunday. I'll sing some songs. I'll, I'll listen. I'll stay awake. I'll stay off my phone and I'll pay attention. And then when I leave, then I'll finish the rest of my week, but I'll be back in a week or two. They just play at following Jesus. And there is nowhere in Scripture that following Jesus is described as playtime. It's a battle. And it is a battle for you and your soul. It is a battle for you and the direction. Even if, even if it's too late for the evil one to have your soul, it's a battle for the direction of your life, the battle for the focus of your life. It is the battle for the focus and the lives and the souls of your family. And a battle for the direction of the church. If you are not actively in the battle... You're just playing. And you're being played by the evil one. As the band makes their way up to the stage, I want to read you a quote from one of my mentors. One of my mentors says this. He says, A Christian who no longer has to struggle against the world and against the flesh and against the evil one, is a Christian who has fallen either into sin or into complacency. And he continues, A Christian who has no conflict is a Christian who has retreated from the front lines of service. The truth is, none of us, not even me, the least of all me, none of us do any of this armor adequately. Can we agree on that? Can we agree that none of us this morning when we got up adequately armed ourselves and put on the armor that God has made available? So I say this. 
don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. Because we can all agree that none of us did that adequately this week. So don't beat yourself up. But instead, determine this week, determine to suit up every day this week before you leave your house. And we're still going to do it inadequately, but determine to suit up before you leave your house. And ask God to help you make that a habit. Now this morning we did not provide you a listener guide in paper nor online this morning. And here's, here's why. Because I'm encouraging you to go back this week to the Facebook live broadcast or tomorrow I'll do my best to have it uploaded to SoundCloud for the audio version. But either one, go back early this week and listen to this again and take a pen and take a piece of paper and take notes about the armor that God has provided you so that when you wake up the next morning, you can, with God's help, leave your house prepared. So the next step is simply this. Listen again and take notes. Let's address our Heavenly Father in prayer. God, thank you that even though we can admit that we have not adequately prepared for this battle, this spiritual battle with your armor and with the sword of the Spirit and with the heavy artillery of prayer. That this week, God, we can make a new focus to suit up before we leave. And God, may we try to focus on that every day this week, even though it will be inadequate, even though we will still fail. God, will you help us to make that a focus? And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.